It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Right now at Safeway, earn four times rewards points when you shop for participating items with Safeway for you. Shop for items like Ready Whip Whipped Cream, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dan and Danimals Drinks, Philadelphia Cream Cheese, and 7-Up to earn four times rewards points with Safeway for you. Offer expires January 4th. Plus, get select holiday essentials like gift wraps, bags, holiday decor, lights, and more. Buy one, get one 50% off. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com or head in store for full offer details. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. This is the Custard TV podcast. Hello, I'm Luke and I run the website that this lives at or lives on. Don't end the sentence with a preposition. Thecustardtv.com. Matt's here as well. Hello. Was that, what was that on? Do you know what it is? It's. Um, did you ever see that episode of Everybody Loves Raymond where he has to do the homework? Yes, I think I think Probably, it's that. Yeah. I think it's that, and his mum says, "You don't end a sentence on a preposition," mm. and she says, "You're a sports writer. How can you?" Not? Anyway, we digress, or rather, I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're still in lockdown, folks. How are you? You're feeling better. You don't seem to be suffering now. I think it's just the you know the the situation we're all in at the moment. I think it was uh, it was sort of mainly anxiety. But that's based. weird, isn't it? Psychologically, because you were saying this makes no difference to me. Yeah, I'm unaffected. I, know. I don't go out. No, I, I don't see. But anything. I think I'm loving it. Yet your brain knew otherwise. My brain knew otherwise. <laughs> I think it's just all all the th- I, I I blame Twitter. I think it's all yeah. the things you read in, all the little things that your brain's picking up on. I reckon we're learning your brain is smarter than you. Yes, probably. Your brain knows things that mm. you don't think you know. But that's the th- that's so... the thing with it being sort of subconscious and everything like that, yeah. isn't it? I think subconsciously. Or but yeah, your brain ignores you because yeah. you were saying that you were not bothered, and your brain's going, "I'm bothered." Yeah. And your brain won the game. Okay, Luke. <laughs> um, how are you? <laughs> I'm alright. I'm enjoying this new psychiatry podcast we're yeah, doing. Yeah, I think this might uh, be one and done. <laughs> Depends. If I go nuts next, we could evaluate me. I think that happened long, long ago. <laughs> and I think, you know, that would be a whole series. Maybe we'll put that on Patreon or something like that. So, yeah. behind a paywall, because that would, that would get dark fast. <laughs> Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. There has been a little bit of news, hasn't there? Because there's yes. been these Edinburgh TV Festival controller session yes, things. Yes, they have. Kevin Ligo from ITV, who is always the most honest, says ITV is in a bit of a mess at the moment. And when uh, asked about what the next six months looks like, he says a lot of Midsummer Murders repeats. He's terrified, actually, more than anything, that the soaps will dry up, that Corey and Emmerdale will dry up, because he feels ITV don't have anything to keep long-term viewers there if they go. 
So that's a bit of a, a bit of a starting statement. He also says he's bored of these shows that are taped from comedians' homes. Um, he he doesn't think that isolation stories, which will air next week, are the future of drama. But he was happy to take a punt on them. And uh, Channel Four have uh, commissioned a TV series that straps their cameras to celebrity dogs, has the dogs walk around the house, and has us try and guess which celebrity the dog is in, and it's called Snoop Dogs. And that's basically all you need to know was that, about what, the control was that sessions. Was Alan Partridge pitched that to Channel 4? Idea for a programme. <laughs> <laughs> Strapping cameras to dogs. It's Call basically it through Snoop the dogs. keyhole. Call it Snoop Dogs. <laughs> and I think it's going to be hosted by Jet from Gladiators as well. So. <laughs> There's a lot of Partridge references in there. You mentioned about the soaps as well, and I read that the Australian soaps are going back into production. Yes, only the home part of Home and Away, though. (laughs) The away part will have to wait. (laughs) And that theme tune as well. You know, we belong together, but not that together. No, not not, not as far together as we want to. Uh, In 2022, I mean, at the moment, June seems a long way off, so 2022 may as well be, you know, another century. But Borgen's coming back because Netflix have bought the rights for all three series and have ordered a a fourth season exclusive to Netflix across the world, and that will feature the majority of the original cast and writer and creator Adam Price at the helm. Didn't think we'd see more Borgen. I wasn't in desperate need for more Borgen, but then when the announcement came up, I was like, yes, that that's nice. I'm pleased with that. So that is the TV news. Borgen back, TV drama on hold, neighbours filming, but home and away only filming the home part. Things are looking rather bleak, but we've still found some things to review. We talked about it last week, Netflix's comedy drama Never Have I Ever. If you want to know more about what Matt thought of that, there is an exquisite review Thank you. in depth about the, the he hasn't read Netflix it, but... series. I have read it. Netflix is Never Have I Ever. The review is online at the website right now, thecustardtv.com. Meanwhile, here at the podcast, we have a new Scandi period piece called State of Happiness, the new Netflix Ryan Murphy gig, Hollywood, and I have now happily and unhappily finished normal people all 12 episodes i've seen where do you want to start matt i i think we should end on normal people because that's going to be very spoilery i suppose isn't it so do you want to start with hollywood this is um ryan murphy's first official show for netflix you may remember the politician that wasn't commissioned for netflix but this is part of his six-figure sum to be uh coming over to the streaming giant this is Sort of an alternative look, 1940s Hollywood, as if it were more inclusive when it comes to race and female roles and all that. Stellar cast of familiar faces, very twee, very bright, very sunshiny. How can you best set this one up, Matt, really? I don't know. Are you asking for me to do it or just to tell you? Just brief, just brief. No, to give me the (laughs) steps to do just briefly. Just briefly, Summit. So, as Luke said, yeah, this is set in post-World War II Hollywood. The first episode primarily focuses on Jack Castello. He's a World War II veteran who aspires to be a Hollywood star. His wife is pregnant, so he 
endeavours to get a job, gets recruited by a character played by Dylan McDermott, who owns a gas station, which turns out to be, I suppose you could call it like a bordello or something like that. It's fronting as he's essentially a pimp. Everyone that works for him are gigolos. Jack meets Holland Taylor's character, Ellen Kincaid, who's an executive at a studio and is married to the head of the studio. It's called Ace yep. Studios. The second episode focuses mainly on um, Darren Chris's character, who is an aspiring director, wants to make a film with a, a real-life actress, Anna Mae Wong, who was famously disregarded by Hollywood because she was an oriental lady working in that sort of time period. Also, uh, a character called Camille, who is Darren Chrissy's character's partner. She's a African-American actress who wants roles that would traditionally go to white actresses. And we do continue Jack's storyline as well. And he becomes a contracted employer at a studios because of his relationship with Ellen Kincaid. How's now, that? My, my, yes, very good. I listened to some of that. <laughs> My, my thing is, though, that um, this era of Hollywood, I don't really have any grounding in. I don't really know. I know Rock Hudson is a, is a character in this. Yeah, so he's the character. We do meet him in the first episode. You know, there's the other gigolo, the black guy that he recruits. Mm-hmm. He, he's the guy who he went to bed with in the first episode. Yeah. So the, some things of late, maybe it's because of the situation we're in, I found impenetrable to get into to get past that first episode and i wonder whether it's because of the way i'm feeling or because i just don't have any grounding in this this uh, the 1940s hollywood is just so not me i wouldn't be able to pick rock hudson out of a lineup and so i don't really know who they are or, or what it's saying i don't even really know you know what points they're trying to make because I don't know what state the industry was in then anyway. So I wonder whether it spoke more to you with your background in film because for me it just it didn't hit any any buttons really. I feel it was very base. There wasn't a lot they were saying that we didn't already know. It's one of those where you know it's very earnest in its depiction of of the wide eyed boy in in Jack. I suppose is our central figure throughout the series but primarily in the first episode so he's the person who you see Hollywood through the eyes of and it's not as glamorous as it seems getting ahead is often sleeping your way to the top rather than having any particular talent it looks fantastic you've got that Netflix budget behind it Mm. but I I I preferred the second episode I, I because I love Darren Chris. Jim Parsons is in the second episode, but I felt he was very over the top as this slimy agent. It just felt a bit hollow to mm. me, that first one. I, I think it was some all, of the... all glitz and glamour and shine, but mm. I just didn't feel yeah. any... It was, it was very, as I say, there wasn't a lot going on below the surface. And, yeah. and I think as well in the second episode, there's a long diatribe about the anime Wong story which I think Ryan Murphy feels like we should care more about these Hollywood stories that only he really likes. I mean, I preferred Feud was a very similar style and looking at old Hollywood and things like that. But I think the characters of Betty Davis and Joan Crawford were a lot more intriguing than these fictional characters that he's created, who don't feel fully formed. Sometimes I can be 
blinded by extravagance and 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 big sets and sunshine and everything glistening and but below the surface of all that that I just didn't find anything no. to cling on to. There were no characters really here that I could get invested in, and I just yeah. the world didn't speak to me at all. Yeah, I lo- I mean some of the performances I quite liked. I thought Dylan McDermott was good as Ernie, the 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 pimp who owns the gas station. Uh, Holland Taylor was probably my favourite here as Ellen Kincaid, very nurturing character. As you say, I think certainly that first episode was a real chore. At times, it did bore me. I think the second episode had a better pace to it. But there wasn't anything there that really stood out, I suppose, is what we're trying to say. If you want a depiction of this time period that worked, is more entertaining, I'd recommend uh, the Coen Brothers film Hail Caesar. That's... I've got that to watch. I've never seen that yet. <laughs> there you go. Watch that instead. I will do. Hollywood is available in its entirety on Netflix Seven now. Seven episodes. Strange. So. Strange number, yeah. Strange number. Matt's going to hate me, but I'm going to have to have him set up the next show as well, which is... <laughs> I know. Sorry. It's called State of Happiness. It is the new foreign drama sh- show showing in double bills on BBC4 on Saturday nights. So this is another period piece set in 1969 in the town of Stavanger in Norway, most known for its offshore oiling rigs. Is that a word? Oil rigs. Oil rigs. I don't know if I said oiling rigs. That's the people who go and put oil on the rigs to make sure they're oily. (laughs) We were paying attention. And also a thriving sardine industry was that the yeah. the fish that was being yes fished yeah. it focuses on the... <laughs> some of these words it sounds like you've never used them before <laughs> i've not talked to anyone this week i've not been working oh, okay. it's been very right. strange okay it's an odd mixture in in this town because you've got the americans who are on the oil rigs as well as the natives you've got christian who's a driver on one of the rigs who's keen for his job to continue his dad owns the sardine factory and i think he wants his son to follow in his footsteps and then we've also got this character toril who um is in a relationship with one of the american shell workers he gets her pregnant but then says i'm leaving because we're pulling out he should have pulled out earlier (laughs) and uh It ends on a bit of a sombre note, really, with um, Toril's father being knocked down by Christian. And what happens from there is is a little bit sad. But there you go. So State of Happiness is almost an ironic title, I would say, Luke. We've been doing this podcast for a while. Nine years almost now you've been doing it. Almost nine years, yeah. And of all the dramas we've talked about centred around oil rigs and sardine factories, this is probably my little... Yeah, this is right now at Safeway, earn four times rewards points when you shop for participating items with Safeway for you. Shop for items like Frigo Crumbled Blue Cheese, Kellogg's Club Crackers, Coca-Cola, All Liquid Detergent, or Utz Chips, and earn four times rewards points with Safeway for you. Offer expires January 4th. Plus, get select holiday essentials like gift wraps, bags, holiday decor, lights, and more. Buy one, get one 50% off. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com or head in store for full offer details. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. 
with LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. That ITV one that we kind of were on the fence about, but this one is probably my least favorite. <laughs> you know, I'm fascinated how they choose which foreign dramas they buy. You gotta remember, and I'm not talking, I know Matt will remember, so I'm talking to the wider audience. This started with the killing and the bridge and the aforementioned Morgan and all of those. And subsequently, of course, we've had dramas we've enjoyed and dramas we've just ignored. I'm looking at you, young Montabano. But I, I was fascinated by this one because it doesn't really fit the mould of any of the others, which you could think is a good thing. They don't all have to be murder mysteries and mm. kids going missing and, and dark and mysterious noir. Or political or, dramas. Or political pieces. But I don't know. I just, I, I, I struggle this, with these. Yeah, yeah it, it feels like a Sunday night BBC One drama. It feels yeah. like a Call the Midwife or a yes. and who knows, Last it may Post. Well be 8 or, PM. Yeah. It may well be 8 p.m. It's just, I know time. when me and Gary were speaking a few weeks ago about how we were getting their prime stuff and then we're getting their Veras and this feels like we're getting their Call the Midwife <laughs> or Call the <laughs> <Yeah>. Oiler. <laughs> Both this and Hollywood, I just, I couldn't get into at all. It was like, oh, why did I ask us to watch these mm. shows? Yeah, this was a struggle. This was mm. a tea, this was a Sunday tea time pre or post bath that your mum would have on yeah. in the background. It was not anything that, special. The, yeah, me. the whole thing with the getting pregnant and then the dad being run over and her having to get married to someone she didn't want. I don't know if you remember the Land Girls all those years I ago. I do, that was daytime, wasn't it? Yeah, but then they showed it on Sunday nights as well, I think. Mm. I think half an hour was in the daytime and then they did like an omnibus on Sunday evenings. Yeah, then were the days of great broadcasting. <laughs> I think it was like 2011 we're going back yeah. to now. It did remind me of that. There's nothing I could pinpoint. I, I, I think, again, great period costumes and design and, and, and that area, it did look good, but the characters didn't Really they, were very to me. they were very it was, it's, sort of, it's very small town Norway is being populated by these Americans because of the oil industry and this is the last chance for them to strike gold really and, and staying in the town and that whole story the the political maneuverings didn't really ring true for me and and the and the character stuff didn't get to me either and it, no. it just left me cold yeah same for me. Uh, if you want to watch this now, <laughs> <laughs> then it's on Saturday nights, uh, the first two, as is the format for these. They show them in double bills. Uh, State of Happiness on uh, BBC4. Did you, have, did you pick up any that people had recommended to you? Founder on Netflix I quite like. I don't fully understand it. I should perhaps watch what, it with what? <laughs> No. Is that is um, Israeli one? Yes, Israeli. But I I don't really understand whether they're police or like vigilante or whatever. <laughs> but I I like it. I like it, Matt. And I don't care that I don't understand it fully. <laughs> A lot of Israeli shows have gone on to be adapted, haven't they? Like Homeland, The A Word, Homeland, euphoria. In Treatment. So it's I'd a... love to see the Israeli Euphoria. I'm sure it's around somewhere on the inter on the interwebs. On the I never look on the internet. I should. 
Um, right. That is that. Let's talk about uh, normal people. Now we have finished it. So if, well, I've finished, finished it, it already. All right. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I have finished it. I think when we last spoke, I'd seen eight episodes or six. No, less than that. I think we were. I think you were midway through six. Okay. And what follows with six is that you go on a real journey with them. So you've got them spending time in Marianne's family holiday home in Italy that just looks stunning. And there's a lot of tension there between Connell and uh, Jamie, Marianne's new boyfriend. That's a brilliant episode of television. I, 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 I sort of said at the beginning of the last one, before I had so much affection for it, does it become episodic? Is it like a an independent film chopped into bits? And I did feel that from sort of the midway point, because of the way the story is told, and you get little chunks of their lives throughout the years, that it does feel more episodic, and I adored that sequence, mm. that episode in Italy. I thought that was just brilliantly done. What I think is, is so special about it is just the way you feel so involved in these characters' lives. And I spent the majority of it wanting to bang their heads together and shake them and say, just realise how how good you've got it at the moment. And in those latter episodes where they do sort of officially announce to their little world that they are a couple and and Marianne spends Christmas with, with Connell and his mum, I thought that was brilliant. It's just so joyous. It is the best show of the year, the best... BBC drama recent memory and it is worth all the hype that Matt and I and everyone else that you've seen is giving it. I absolutely adored it and I, I felt really bereft when it ended. Mm. The ending is, is somewhat, I, I wouldn't say disappointing, that's unfair because it's the way... It's open-ended, is. isn't it? I think, it's open-ended, I, yeah. I think what I was saying last week, that I, I obviously have, neither of us have read the book, I wonder if that is the same way that she ended it with the the as you say that they end up as a couple after both have well certainly Connell has severe trauma one of his school friends commits suicide he ends up having a breakdown ha- and um, goes but to see a therapist. Those sequences where he's talking to his therapist and he breaks down they are so intimate and so brutal you almost feel. Like you're encroaching in on him by watching it, yeah. and it almost feels. I, I said imperfect. episode ten. His was performance the, uh, is just heartbreaking. Yeah. I, I loved it. I, I think both of them realise that they're the other's sort of comfort blanket. He's able to sleep when she's there with him on, on Skype. She obviously there's this thing about self worth that 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 she feels like she doesn't deserve happiness almost well, she she has a relationship midway through Sweet. with a guy who's into bondage yeah. and takes photographs of her and ties her up and that was that was really hard going for me i really found that uncomfortable yeah, well, yeah i think that's when you that's when you realize how invested you are in these people's lives when you're like i can't even bear watching this because it just sets my teeth on edge and yeah. i just feel for and uh, yeah, it, and she realised that a lot of her uni friends weren't good for her, and and at the end, the the two of them living together very happily. He then gets an offer to go to New York to write, and yeah. initially says, "I don't want to do it at all," and then considers it. She says, "Yes, you should go," and it ends with him 
off to New York, her staying in Ireland. And I think she's that... sort of made peace with who she is yes. and where she is. They both and have, she says, I think. I'm happy in yeah. my life and I yeah. want to stay. Yeah. yeah. I think that the next chapter is easily written, really, isn't it? Because this isn't a story that was built on plot. It's built on these two characters. And it's an interesting leap to see if they do one where he's been to New York and comes back and what the state of their relationship is then. There's a lot of scope, I think, for another series. It's bigger moments. So there is a big confrontation between Connell and Marianne's brother when the brother... Mm -hmm inadvertently hurts his sister and even its bigger moments don't get big and brash they're still tender and quiet and intimate and to the point and there's no raised voices or melodramatics they're all straightforward and down the line and i really appreciated how the tone was kept so simple and intimate throughout the whole thing it was just brilliantly done i i mean what, i what do you think it is about it do you have a sense of why it speaks to us because yeah. we're not of that age group i think it is a very intimate portrayal of outsiders and i think if you have if you haven't been an outsider or haven't felt what it's like to be an outsider maybe you haven't got that perspective on it but i think a lot of people certainly that we interact with in well, the, just you and I. The t- well, no, I was going to say, like, in the TV community, the TV yes. crit- critic community, have at some times experienced that, those, the, the, the feelings of the lack of self-worth, which there's a lot throughout, the awkwardness of adolescence, of trying to be a grown-up when you leave home to go to uni i think it just plays on on the on those memories that we have of that time really well and 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 really authentically i think that i think it's been a while and you said it last week that it's been a while since there's been something that's been very small and intimate and and it might be that a lot of us have missed having a drama like that i absolutely love it i will watch it again it's normal people and the one thing that you said um which I agree with to a point, which was that the the, the friendship circle doesn't feel as fleshed out. But actually, I was thinking, was that a deliberate choice? Because really, the only people that matter in the yeah. world are those well, two. I, and so is it we're seeing the world through their yeah. eyes? And so nobody else is that important to them. Sally Rooney, I read a, a little snippet of an interview with her where she did say one of her aims was to flesh out these secondary characters but she felt that there was so much in just Connell and Marianne that she felt she couldn't do that, even given six hours of TV time. What I meant mainly was maybe the performances. I know they're not given a lot to do. Maybe it distracted me a little bit from the the brilliance of Paul Meskell and Daisy Edgar-Jones, who were just so great. And, and yeah, I mean, this this for me is up there in terms of top TV shows of the year. Um, and I think it is something we will remember. And hopefully, if there is a BAFTAs next year, because I don't think there's one this year, a TV BAFTAs, or certainly it's going to be quite late in the year, the, that both both um, Daisy and Paul do get nominated and hopefully win those awards. Obviously, we don't know what's coming later in the year, but I don't think there's a lot going to be a lot more competition. <laughs> it might be the show of the year. <laughs> yeah. um, I've been reading a lot of interviews with them as well, and uh, basically through uh, American publications. 
both of them saying they found fame at the most surreal time mm. where they are experiencing fame through people contacting them on Twitter, but they, like us, are stuck in their rooms, unable to even interact very much with one another and discuss mm. it and what fame is like. They're stuck. They're just stuck. And hopefully that they won't be forgotten in this, because this moment is very important for them and I hope it leads to bigger things for them. And I don't, as much as the first series ended open-endedly, I don't particularly want more because I think it might taint it slightly. Yeah, I think, but we get that, don't we? Anything that's vaguely popular, we're going to milk for all it's worth. We we live in that in that in yeah, those times, don't, don't we? I don't know much about Sally Rooney, mm. but the fact that she wanted to be so involved and mm. co co-author this essentially for a second time would make me think that she's not the sort just mm. to go, yeah, I'll, I'll bang out another one. Because the thing that I said at the beginning last week where people who've read the book adore it, and that is so rare. So would she want to write a second series without having written a second book? I very much... Uh, I, I wonder if she'll do it sort of almost simultaneously, do the book and the and the series at the same time. Because if the book did end open as open-endedly as the series did... She could say, yeah, there was always going to be room for a second book. And like, I suppose like The Handmaid's Tale, they did that, didn't they? They yeah. She wrote the book after the success of the series some, some time later. But, you know, the book's only a few years old. So there there is the feasibility that she was always going to write a second book. Especially, I suppose, there might be pressure from the Hulu side as well. Yeah. To get something else. To, like, a, I'm thinking Handmaid's Tale, Big Little Lies anything like that that's been vaguely popular, that's been based on a literary source, even though that's where the story ended. Certainly with Big Little Lies, it was very closed ending. They've done more because of the popularity of the series, whereas here, there it wasn't a closed ending, so you can easily continue, whether it be just another book or another series. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'll be a massive hypocrite, though, because as soon as they announce the yeah. second series, I'll be like, yeah, I can't wait for that. Yeah, but everyone so, knows you massive hypocrite anyway so and i know you mentioned it at the start but for those who have finished normal people i would really recommend going to never have i ever on netflix next because that's a nice just a nice series i really enjoyed it 
Yeah. I mean, that was I'm nice. more I'm more articulate. Read my read my review. I don't think it's particularly spoilery. It's, well, it's it just it basically it's just Matt saying how nice it is. Yeah, it's just yeah, nice. Nice, and it, it it has helped me through what has been quite a hard week, sort of health wise, and and uh, I think the the review will will be quite one sided, but I I like to think I was a little critical as well. So I'm going to speak to Jackson now about the conclusion of the fifth season of Better Call Saul. Okay, so we're joined by Jackson from Skip Intro, the YouTube channel I'm always touting on about, <laughs> to talk about the finale of Better Call Saul and, and perhaps the season as a whole. It airs on Netflix here and... I get the sense that it's not as big here as it should be. I'm annoyed by that. I need someone to talk to. So I reached out to the closest person who happens to be in Boston. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. The closest person I have to talk to about it is in Virginia. So uh, it's, not, it's not as popular here as, as, uh, as it should be either. Because TV critics have would have you believe that it's a massive show and everybody's watching, but I think to be fair, that first season, I I really enjoyed it, but it was glacial in its pacing, and I think it it put a lot of people off. Yeah, it was definitely a slow season. The whole show is much more ponderous and slow than Breaking Bad. You know, it's never going to be the the you know making meth like. Hype that uh, thrill thrill ride that that uh, Breaking Bad was. I think that one of the reasons that all the critics are are pointing to it is because it has reached this best craft on television kind of status that it probably couldn't have gotten to if it didn't take the time with those earlier seasons. It is slightly risky, isn't it, to to take your time because people say we're in the golden age of television, we've got more TV than ever, and and people say. I, I've got patience for this, but actually people want exciting and edgy the seek stuff and aren't willing to, to let things breathe. I think by the by the end of that first season, it shared enough DNA with Breaking Bad that I, it scratched my itch that way. And also, by this point, is it up there in your eyes with Breaking Bad? Because I think it's reached the, the heights of the best Breaking Bad. Season four of Breaking Bad was when it really got addictive and I yeah. this is going to be addictive and now we've got this period of time where i spend the whole of an episode just worried about kim wexler <laughs> you know people forget about this because breaking bad is this huge cultural phenomenon but the first the first season and a half of breaking bad is kind of all over the place too in my opinion i don't think that the show really takes off until chris and ritter came to the show and mm introduced like this new aspect and was able to kind of flesh out the Jesse character more. Yeah. Then it was just like a rocket ship just took right off. And I think likewise in Better Call Saul, it didn't really take off until they gave Kim Wexler the room to breathe in that second season. And they kind of created that, that new dynamic. I think that it's just as good as Breaking Bad now, but it's very different. And obviously it couldn't exist if Breaking Bad didn't exist. The ponderous nature of it is something that you kind of afford to it because you trust Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould so much, the creators. Mm. 
And, and that world with every episode gets richer and richer and richer, doesn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. You know, as a prequel, you know where everything is going. I think a lot of people think that that is a narrative weakness. And I think that it can be, but I think they've turned it into like this sort of Damocles where it's like everything is hanging over these people at every moment. And they've kind of come up with really creative ways to not just put them in danger, but you kind of are watching them fight their inner urges and they're kind of watching themselves corrode before your eyes. And a lot of the characters that you've come to really care for and love, like Nacho and Kim and now Lalo in this season, Lalo Salamanca, are all characters that we don't really know how their story ends. We don't have like high hopes, I don't think. It doesn't feel like it's going to be like a great ending. Uh, Unlike Breaking Bad, you know their story will end because we know they're not in the series Breaking Bad, we know they're not going to be there. So at some point, we know their story will end. And it's just that nervousness of how will it end? When will it end? Exactly. And is it going to tip us over the edge? It really is like critic catnip because it, it really does uh, lend itself to so many different viewings. There's so much thought put into everything. And all of the writing is like about poetic justice and ironic tragedy, stuff that is just really thought-provoking and great for like long pieces of, of writing about how brilliant it is really as opposed to something that is just like a visual spectacle it's such an introspective show what i like about this universe and i know this isn't the case is it feels like they've sat down and plotted this and they know exactly where they're going they've known from day one it just feels like we're yeah. slowly eking out one story it's so clever it really has screwed over a lot of other television shows uh because people kind of watch breaking bad and better call saul and think that everything is thought out beforehand um they think that these shows have like a an, an end point in mind that they're always working towards there's like a fairly famous story in the last season of breaking bad they split it into halves um and they aired like about a year apart and the first season like ends with this like flash forward where Walt finds has like this giant gun in his yeah. trunk, and then when you see what happens with that gun, you're like, "Oh, I see what happened." They they knew what was going to happen, but the writers in the writers' room have said that they had no idea what they were going to do with that gun at the time that they put it there. They just thought that it was a smart and like interesting thing, and they thought that all of like the best writing came out of writing yourself out of corners. But that can trip so many shows up. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. Like Lost, for example, which. I think if Damon Lindelof had wrote Lost now, he would have an endpoint in mind. It probably wouldn't be on a network that wanted 22 episodes a year from him for how many years. Absolutely. But he would know where this was going to go. And I think where so many shows have been tripped up by not having a plan. Of course, they got Breaking Bad to work from in a sense, but it just seems so... Eff everything they do seems so effortless admiration for the way it works and the way it makes you feel that you're just watching this well-oiled machine tick along yeah i couldn't have said it better myself actually well you didn't need to i mean i wrote that so. <laughs> <laughs> for me i felt like this season really elevated it i made a video before the beginning of this season for the ringer and the whole premise of the video was like is better call Saul more impressive than breaking bad because it's like a higher degree of difficulty and, you know, we kind of struggled with the titling for that a little bit. And there was like, um, are we are we saying that Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad? Is that like a thing that we're saying or that it's as good? Because that feels like blasphemous. And now that this season has aired, I feel like 
it's not that blasphemous to say that it's on the same level. My issue with Breaking Bad was it was no sorry with Better Call Saul was that I loved the Kim and Jimmy aspect of it and was less enamoured with the Mike stuff because it seemed to just be a different show altogether and I was always willing it to go back to Jimmy and to Kim and I always knew that eventually at some point the two worlds had to mesh and I think they've done it so perfectly to mesh it so now it's not a show of two halves it is one show it's gone from something I admire and enjoy to something that I just lapped up every week this season I think it is up there yeah. with the best of Breaking Bad. I really do. It gave me those same feelings of thinking I knew what was going to happen, being wrong-footed, being second-guessed, and just those moments of tension that I remember feeling when watching the best of Breaking Bad. I mean, the the, the episode where they were in the desert. Yeah, it... That was akin to Ozymandias yeah, in a way. That's as far as that show's got to the greatness of Breaking yeah. Bad. And you can tell that they are just much better at filmmaking now. As a crew, as a writing staff, these people just have a much firmer grasp on what they're doing filmmaking-wise. There's the, definitely an air of confidence to the whole thing, it feels like. by the Absolutely. Time. Was there a turning point? Was it for you, was it this season? or Because before now, I haven't felt compelled to do this, to talk in depth about mm. the show. But now seems the time. Now seems the time for people, especially in the situation we're all in, if you gave up on it, go back, because it does become something spectacular. But were you always a massive fan, or is this the season that's like Better Call Saul's up there for me now as one of my favourites? I remember the moment that I thought that the show took a, a big leap, and it was a, an episode in season three, um, called Chicanery. It's just a, basically a courtroom episode. Um, yeah. And just the way that it's it's written and the way that it's acted was just next level. I remember being like, whoa, that was a really good episode of television. But I think that even in season two, I thought that it was really starting to take shape. And then season three, I felt that leap. And then season four was very consistently great. Mm. And then this season has been the one that, like I said, is now that same level of Breaking Bad. And I think that that's a, a, not an uncommon arc for a television show. I think that when a show ends, we start to think about them as like a big picture kind of thing. Yeah. Like people don't think about the entire run of Breaking Bad. They think of the peak and they kind of just mark all of Breaking Bad under that one label. Like I said earlier, I don't think that that's particularly true i remember trying to go back and rewatch the series from the beginning i felt just so much less engaged with the beginning the pilot episode is obviously great but the rest of that first season is kind of meandering and and some of that has to do with like the writer strike that was happening and stuff like that but we kind of think about the high points of the end of season three and season four half measure full measure box cutter then the showdown with gus just is the like, titles make me want to go and watch those episodes again. Yeah. They but give, you, no other show gives me that feeling outside of the Americans, I don't think. <laughs> you can just list a title and I'm like, yes, pump mm. that into my veins as if it were disinfectant. And then and then season five is kind of like that, that finale fireworks. And you kind of are thinking of the entire series in that space. Yeah. When in reality, that's only like 65% of the show. 
you think about the feeling you you had as well watching it and you don't remember the early bits because they you weren't as invested then you didn't have an emotional connection and you weren't obsessive at that point you only think about it from when you were really immersed and connected i think i think that's a great point and tv is different than film because of the time that it takes to watch and that's its great strength and in some ways that's its great weakness too because in order to get to that point you have to put in the time and the reps and you have to become invested in these characters the reason i stuck with better call saul what i wouldn't say i wasn't enjoying it but i wasn't as blown away by it as I wanted to be or expected to be, but I just have such faith in that creative team, and I knew that at some point, as, as we reached the conclusion, we were going to get these moments. I mean, that finale was one of those turn it on and the hour and five minutes just whizzes by. I sort of didn't know what to expect, and it's sort of what they do cleverly is they give you the impression that something is going to happen, and that that we're building to something, but you actually, as a viewer, have no idea what you're building to. There's just this ominous feeling of dread and danger that you that you can't explain. Yeah, absolutely. I got the opportunity to watch the screeners for that before it aired because I was making a video about the end of Better Call Saul. And I, I was, like, pouring over it, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I made the whole video, and... I, I decided that I was actually going to watch the finale live as well. And even though I had spent like all of this time watching this episode, I was so mm. engrossed in it as if it had been the first time I watched it. And I was just like, this is the best, this is the best show on TV. Every little detail is important. Once you know where things are going, you can see that there are obvious clues the entire way. They're not hiding the ball on you. You know that there's going to be, I don't know, how do you want to deal with spoilers in this? Um... It's tricky because we started by saying hardly anybody watches it. And <laughs> if, we, if we talk in depth about what happens, then I'm worried that I'll... Right, I'm okay, I got you. If you spoiled it for me, I would... Uh, well, yeah. I can't leave the house, okay. I wouldn't do anything, but... <laughs> but okay, I'd I got be, you, I got I'd you. I'd be I... quietly mad. There's this huge kind of set piece at the end of the season... I wasn't ready for that. No. But when you think about it, like they tell you that it's going to happen. They tell you all of the details about what is going to happen beforehand. They forecast it a long yeah. way ahead. And, and, and all, of the skills, all of the skills that all of the characters display in that scene are all foreshadowed earlier in the in the season with all of Lalo's cooking and all of his um, athletics, for lack of a better word. I think that that's I can say that without spoiling things. You can just tell how everything is just slowly put into place throughout the entire season, and every detail pays off. Uh, when I'd finished watching it, and you sort of had that adrenaline rush of, my God, that was amazing. And then I was starting to think, I'm going to watch Breaking Bad probably for the third time at some point in the future, when I've got time. You don't have that right that's, now? That sounds mad, I know, but it's true. <laughs> I'm currently sorting through photo albums. But um, I sort of wondered whether it would make Saul harder to love in Breaking Bad. Mm. You're aware now of the heartache and the, the humanity in the man that you weren't when he was this comedy character with the sharp suits and the one-liners. and the. Yeah. But now we know he's this deeply troubled human man that is 
through kind of through no fault of his own and poor choices or maybe desperate choices have led him to this point. And I don't know how that makes me feel about the person in Breaking Bad now. That's the question, right? Um, and and we don't know exactly how his story ends. We know like all of the major plot points, but we don't know the emotional journey that he's going to go through exactly. We don't know, you know, what it is that really puts him over the edge and really puts him into that that role like permanently, as opposed to where he's kind of. You know, sometimes he's Jimmy, sometimes he's Saul now. So something is going to happen that is going to push him fully. And we don't know what that is. We know it's going to happen, and that's terrifying. But Mm. (laughs) it could be a number of different things. And I think that how that turns out is going to really color how you see Mm. Breaking Bad. I have not revisited Breaking Bad since really getting into Better Call Saul, um, other than a few episodes here or there. So... I can't shed any light on that, but I have a friend who who has, and they were saying that it just makes him all the more tragic. You just feel like all of his jokes are just hiding a deep, a deep emotional pain. There's probably an emptiness to him when you see him in that setting now that you right. you would never have appreciated going in before. You've made a video on the importance of Kim Wexler and and the genesis of her. I always think Ray Seahorn does a stunning job but this season the choices that that character has made coupled with the performance from her have just elevated her into one of my favorite characters on television in anything yeah she's the best is it because we feel that affection towards her because we know she's likely to have that grim end and i suppose she could be working at cinnabon opposite uh gene in the in the scenes in black and white, it might just the camera might pan round and she's working at Pandora well, or something. She is but... from Nebraska and he is in Nebraska, so yeah, uh, so... that has been remarked upon on the internet for sure. I don't think that it's just because we know that she's screwed, um, yeah. because we kind of have a similar relationship to Nacho. And while I love that character and Michael Mando's performance is also phenomenal, I don't think that there's the same level of love for nacho as there is for kim and i think that the real reason that kim is so powerful is because she is kind of this foil to jimmy and she kind of represents everything that he could be and everything that he is underneath it all she's kind of the only person who believes in him even when he's not deserving of belief but she still like holds the line with him. She defends him against Chuck, but she also is like, you should be better about Chuck. I think that it's her unpredictability we're drawn to, actually. Because one minute she's the moral compass of the piece, and the next minute she's showing no fear at all, talking to Lalo and, and sticking up for Jimmy, and you just never know where her moral compass is. And she can be tempted to either side, not in the same way that Jimmy can. She doesn't have to become Saul. Kim is two halves of the same person. She doesn't yeah. have to become a character to turn on the nastiness, really. And it's 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 out of fierce protection. She's a control freak. She wants total control over everything that she can. She has this belief in herself, which is her greatest strength, that if she can see all the pieces on the board, she can 
win. All she needs to do is know all of the pieces, and then she can outthink, outwork, outhustle everyone else. The irony of it is that knowing all of the pieces on the board, Jimmy only puts her at greater risk. You know, for a long time, it felt like she was just the moral compass of Jimmy. She kind of represented like what was at stake for him. And now we kind of see that all along, she has also been part of this Breaking Bad cast of characters who are defined by their one fatal flaw, which is also their greatest strength. Um, And for her, it's that confidence and um, that desire to control everything. Throughout the series, pretty much everybody has has sort of bemoaned her choosing Jimmy. And I think there's a part of her that thinks, I chose him and I'm going to stick with him no matter what because I made this decision and I don't want all these other people to to see me fail in my choice of a partner either. I think that's 100% the reason. She knows that she made that decision and she believes that if she made the decision, it was the right decision and she needs to protect that. Otherwise, she was wrong. And if she's wrong, then who is she? She's not Kim Wexler. I know they're a partnership, but are they just a partnership? Do you feel the genuine affection for one another or are they just really close friends confide things in each other that they couldn't say to anyone else in their universe they're quite similar i think to philip and elizabeth where they're the only people who know how each other thinks and therefore they can say these things because they know they won't be judged but in the end i don't know how much affection kim genuinely has for jim oh I think that especially in this season, it's very clear how deeply Kim cares for Jimmy. When she doesn't know what's going on with him, it is like racking her inside. Mm. There are moments where Jimmy is kind of like, are you sure? Do you want like an out on this? I'm not going to make you do this. And I don't think that the reason she stays is purely because she just wants to control. I don't think you can underestimate how much genuinely she cares for him because I think that that's what made her make that decision in the first place. I don't think that she made that decision to pick Jimmy just because she wanted a challenge. (laughs) I think that she chose him because she wanted to. She She wanted to choose him. She saw the good in him where others were putting him down and knocking him about. And she saw the person behind all the bravado. Really. Absolutely. You know, that that's the deepest connection you can have. What is love if not a, a very deep connection? When I'm allowed to go in the car again, I'm going to put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> you got to make I sure just... that you spell it out with all of those uh, religious symbols, like the yes. coexist thing. Yeah. Well, I might just put it in my window for people to see as they walk by into the nearest field. Because of the situation we're all in, although it means we don't have a clue when Better Call Saul is going to be back in Albuquerque filming. We know the final season is coming. That's at least something to cling on to. My question is, do you think what we were saying earlier about them getting all their ducks in a row and planning so far in advance and it feeling so meticulous, is this time that they perhaps would be planning anyway and they're not going to be filming quite as soon? It's, it's a lot of planning time. It's a lot of time to get everybody on Zoom and really drill out perfect episodes you would hope yeah i would definitely hope that they they kind of are writing their little brains out um (laughs) more than maybe other shows they've talked a lot about all the creators all the actors have talked about how the the script is king on that set 
I think that, yeah, a lot of the time they were going to spend is just going to be spent writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. I think that if any show is, is going to make good use of this time off, it's Better Call Saul. I mean, if that hasn't convinced you to get on Netflix and uh, stream the hell out of the five seasons that are there, then do it because it does blossom, to use a gardening term. Uh, oh, is that what that is? I, don't know. Uh, I don't know. I've not been outside for a month and a bit. Um, <laughs> it becomes the show, I think, that people wanted it to be from the start. And it's unfair for you to expect a show to be firing on all cylinders from the word go. It's very rare that that is the case. There's a really interesting article from the critic Emily Vanderwerf who kind of says, if you have a really great first season, a lot of times you're going to have a really bad second season. And a lot of times if you have a mediocre first season, you have an opportunity to make a really good second season and take off from there. So Better Call Saul is definitely a build up and it's definitely not the same show as Breaking Bad. There's much less meth uh, and chemistry and um, people yelling bitch. But it is it is every bit as good. And it feels of the same world, most definitely. So if you if you just want to be back in that Breaking Bad universe and El Camino didn't scratch that itch enough, then uh, Better Call Sword is all on Netflix. Jackson, where can people stalk you if they want to find out more about what it is you do? Oh, they can find my YouTube channel. It's called Skip Intro. Um, and you could also follow me on Twitter if you are so inclined, although... I'm not very good at Twitter. Um, my handle no, is. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. My handle is Jack APN two. This just in for your entertainment. Get the latest TV news direct from thecustardtv.com. My God, you are pure television. Guaranteed. Um, right then, thecustardtv.com is the website where you can find Matt's review of Never Have I Ever, Erin's uh, review of Normal People, and uh, all the latest TV news and stuff. Not that there is much at the moment, and also the TV Week, which looks ahead across the next seven days to point out anything new and uh, noteworthy that you might want to watch across the week. Um, you can like us on Facebook, Custard TV there. Custard TV reviews at Gmail, should you want to reach out and ask us a question. The Custard TV podcast has its own Twitter handle for exclusive pod content, Custard TV pod at, on Twitter, uh, at Matt's TV Bites for me, and at Luke Custard, no, at t- Matt's TV Bites for Matt, not for me, and at Luke Custard TV for me. And um, also, you can review us if you would be so kind. You've got the time uh, on any of the podcast apps and just give us a nice five-star review. It costs nothing, and yet it would make me so happy. And Matt's had a difficult week, and it would just be nice yes. for Matt. Yeah, yeah, get the emotional blackmail in there. Whether we'll be back now, I think we'll be back next week. It's just the difficulty of finding uh, more shows to discuss. Thank you so much for spending time in our company. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll keep watching TV so that you can just watch repeats of your favourite shows in this difficult time. Thank you. Bye. See ya. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.